Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Earn $300 with everything checking from Dollar Bank. Then do your thing. I can get our new baby a fuzzy blanket to sleep on. Everything checking has fast mobile payments, so you can do that. Then I can pick up some squeaky toys. Baby loves to chew. Um, everything checking offers zero fees at 55,000 ATMs, so you can do that. Yeah, then I can get a sitter to scratch baby's tummy while we're at work. Uh, everything checking lets you do easy. Send money with Zelle. So what kind of baby is baby? A Boston Terrier. Why? I feel better now. Earn $300 with everything checking from Dollar Bank. What you do is up to you. Open your account today at dollar.bank slash 300. $300 offer for new customers only and may end without notice. Certain requirements apply in the first year. 0.05% annual percentage yield. Account opening is subject to approval and accounts are available only to consumers residing in Dollar Bank's markets. Zelle is available to United States bank account holders only. Terms and conditions apply. Dollar Bank member FDIC. Now you're welcome along to the Huddle Breakdown, the podcast that looks at the stats, XG and performance of Celtic FC. We don't really have a game to look at this week, so we're going to take a little bit more of a broad look at one player in particular. And you probably would have seen a video circling around from Voice Analytics on Twitter of this guy shooting. It is, of course, Ryan Christie. We've spoken about him quite a bit on the show throughout it, but he hasn't got his own show up until now. Juco James and Alan Morrison, you're with me on the line as always. How's it getting on? Yes, how are you, and uh, and how are you, James? <laughs> Surviving. Oh, 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 you see what I did there? <laughs> how is not appointed yet at the moment of recording, so we are we're waiting patiently in the lines for that to happen, and hopefully we'll have a little bit of a show coming along when that does happen. But we will plow on with what we have, and what we have is Ryan Christie taking shots after shots, after shots. And I say shots plural because that's what it is. 51 shots, I think it is, outside of the box. And was it two on target, one on target the boys' analytics has? So we're looking at a player here who loves to shoot on sight, but I believe that he was told to do that as well by our former manager, Neil Lennon. So I am very interested to see what your data says, Alan, because Ryan Christie, for me, was probably the most frustrating player this season. But I know, James, you have a bit of a theory behind why that might be as well. So let's get straight into it, I suppose. Alan, Ryan Christie, your thoughts on him as a player overall? 
Sure. So, I mean, Ryan Christie, I have to say, you know, gives good numbers, right? <laughs> he really does. You know, you kind of, uh, as I think I said before, he tends to contribute across the spectrum, you know, as a real all-action player. And I know people fixated on his shooting, and I, I like the uh, the boys' analytics video. It was very good. But it managed to be right and wrong at the same time. It was right in the sense that, you know, absolutely correct to point out the futility of shooting from long distance and also uh, absolutely spot on in terms of the opportunity cost of, of those shots in terms of what could you have done better? What could you have created had you not taken that option? Um, it, was, it was absolutely spot on. But but it was it was kind of inaccurate in the sense that if you look at the the data behind Christie's shooting, he's actually really, you know, Last season, 61% of his shots were from outside the box. And this season, it's 65%. I mean, it's, it's not an enormous shift. It is a shift, but it's not an enormous one. I think what people get fixated about, of course, is the outcome. And, and you know, and that's where our old friend expected goals comes in. So last season, Christie scored eight goals from outside the box. Now, I don't know that there would be many players in Europe, midfielders in Europe, that would have scored more than eight goals from outside the box. That's a quite a phenomenal number, actually. I mean, you really are looking at sort of messy type territory in terms of number of number of goals outside the box. And, and, and if anybody wants to kind of respond and let me know, because I'm Celtic by numbers, not European football by numbers. So if somebody has that to hand, please, please let me know. So last season, he was incredibly successful. And, and whereas his expected goals for all of his shots outside the box was three, he actually scored eight. So people were then conditioned to thinking Ryan Christie's just got this amazing ability to shoot from outside the box, when in reality, he kind of got lucky, you know, and massively overperformed his expected goals. And guess what happened this season? Actually, he got lucky again, because Mm -hmm. if you look at the expected goals uh, from all of his shots outside the box, and there were 81 of them, then he actually scored five goals. Now, again, a little bit of license paid by Boys Analytics. He pointed out that well, Ryan Christie scored one league goal from outside the box. Well, yeah, yeah, but he scored four in other competitions. So his, his total was five, um, which you know is, is down on last season, but his expected goals was only, had only crept up. The extra 14 shots he took outside the box only gave him a, a, a 0.12 higher expected goal. So his expected goal was 3.12, and he actually scored five. So do you know what? He is outperforming his expected goals. But the, the key thing here is perception. The perception is that he scored less, uh, and he has scored less, obviously, and therefore, you know, and he's taking slightly more shots. Therefore, he's being wasteful. But I, I honestly don't see any an enormous difference in approach, quite frankly. When mm-hmm. I actually looked at his, I then went on to look at his shots inside the box, um, and, and concluded that, uh, and he's massively underperforming his expected goals uh, from shots inside the box. Uh, last season, he scored eight inside the box, and his expected goals was over eleven. And this season, he's scored three inside the box and his expected goals is nearly eight, which led me to conclude he's just not very good at shooting. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I think that, that, is, uh, that, that, that for me is a story about the, the shots component. And mm-hmm. I would like to come back and talk about him more generally, his performance, because I think that's actually a more interesting story. Uh, but I'll let James come in on the on the shots uh, the shots debate. Yeah, James, the uh, perception is a a key word in that because I I think you've mentioned a couple of times that you know a lot of people have their made their mind made up already about Christie, so it just gets compartmentalized every single time he makes any sort of attempt at what people perceive him to do. So that would be taking shots all the time from long range. 
Yeah, and I, that was tremendous summary by Alan, by the way. Bravo. It was very, very good. Um, I, I think that the part of the narrative last season, which was so interesting, is that I believe three of those eight came very early in the season, including, I think, two of them against like Nomi, Klauju, or, you know, one of the minnow uh, early European games in, in the early qualifying. Um, and then I think maybe one against St. Johnston in the big 7-0 game. Um, to start off the, the league campaign, or I might have those bass ass backwards. It might be two in, in the St. Johnston game and, and one in, uh, one of the minnow qualifiers, but, uh, you know, it was probably three goals on the equivalent of maybe, uh, 0.1, uh, XG in aggregate on all of the shots. Uh, so that creates an anchoring bias, right. To, to our point, we, you know, I always try to talk about a little bit of the cognitive aspect of all of this from an analytical perspective, so, um, you know, you get that anchoring early in the season. The guy's a great shooter from range. And then, uh, you know, you, then you can kind of look at the, the sequencing of things for the rest of the season and then into this season. And, and I think that, um, you know, these biases are, are, you know, either confirmed or conflicted. And then that's what creates cognitive dissonance when we have these biases and reality flies in the face of them. Uh, it kind of breaks our brains, so to speak, so that we can preserve our self, uh, self-worth and self-reality. Um, so, yeah, I, I think, you know, when I look at Christie quantitatively, season over season, and even back to the 18-19 season when he kind of emerged onto the scene under Rodgers, I don't think all that much has changed. Uh and that's why I thought Alan's summary was so great is because it's, it's good to hear that he sees the same thing. Um, you know, th- there's some things on the margins, but this is where I thought what I could add in value is thinking about this again, kind of from my attribution and analytics background in the uh, financial markets is thinking about this from a, a systemic uh, perspective. Uh, meaning how much of what's going on with his statistics this season are Christie specific uh, and how much of them are Celtic related, right? So I, I, I kind of broke down his contributions to Celtic and looked at them within the context of what's going on with Celtic overall, right? So, you know, what's his XG been, but what's it done as relative to Celtic's XG? Uh, what's his, you know, uh, his key passes, his XA, uh, you know, his uh, XG per shot, which is kind of a proxy of overall you know, shooting. Um, I also looked at a shot map a little bit more in depth to look at, you know, so for example, any of these arbitrary uh, classifications are just that. I mean, generally speaking, shots inside the box are better than shots outside the box. Well, if you look at Christie last season, he had like three or four shots that were, you know, lunatic shots from angles. (laughs) I think one or two of them were free kicks where he tried to score, from, uh, you know, just a ridiculous side angle inside the box. But from an XG perspective, it's worse than a shot from just outside, uh, you know, kind of that, that, that half circle above the, the 18, uh, where, you know, you can still actually have a pretty good XG shot from that area central. Um, so, you know, again, the, all these classifications are um, to a degree arbitrary, Mm-hmm. Um, so, but yeah, generally speaking, his overall decision-making, I would say the actual huge red flag this season hasn't been shooting. It's actually been more so on the creative side where his kind of, um, 
you know, for example, XA per key pass is down like 60%. Uh, and, and again, I think boy, the boys analytics, um, video pointed some of that out, but that's, that's been a, a, a team wide problem, mm-hmm. um, where we just haven't had the kind of, uh, you know, creative passing and that, that again, come, I, you know, one of the qualitative, um, analytical premise I've had for the season was that there was particularly back in the fall in the epicenter of the meltdown in October into November, when there was like, you know, people aren't trying hard enough, you know, the players aren't giving forth their effort. And, and to me, it screamed of a lot of players trying too hard and that, you know, kind of not, and you know, the, the bias kicks in where people don't like Christie and say, Oh, well, he's being selfish. Um, well, there, there's a fine line between selfishness and trying harder. Mm. And trying to do too much and, and, um, you know, not playing through a teammate that might be in a better position to shoot. Uh, whereas, you know, you, sh- you take a shot when maybe, you know, again, it's not necessarily being selfish. That's the cognitive projectile, the bias that we have, uh, you know, one guy's selfishness is another guy's, uh, you know, trying too hard. And I think Christie's, you know, because of the kind of the general bias amongst our support, gets more of the former, you know, they get labeled with that selfishness, uh, slur, whereas other guys might get, you know, I, 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 you could levy a lot of the same criticism of Christie on McGregor this season. And I don't hear anyone talking about McGregor being selfish. Um, so I think that that, that, that's a, a, uh, a perfect kind of example of the cognitive bias that backdrops all of this. Um, and I don't think either one of them have not been trying. Actually, I think Alan would, I would guess Allen's data would probably support like his overall engagements are similar or even up a little bit this season. As far as like, mm-hmm. how many times does he get in a duel? You know, the, his proxies for getting around the pitch are similar to last season or even up a little bit. Same with McGregor. I mean, McGregor hasn't had less effort this season. That That's absurd. If anything, he's same thing His volumes are up. Um, so that that's kind of how I would portray it. Mm, yeah. There's, there's a couple of sides to Christie that, we should probably look at as well as the shooting because I, I guess it comes down to a lot of coaching as well as does a lot of the stuff that we've been speaking about. And, you know, you have the rumors that uh, Lennon had the SOS signal, the shoot on site signal for, for Christie and for, for some of these players. And then the lack of consistency in position because that's really important for a player like Christie and the switching from formations from the three, five, two to the four, two, uh, three, one to the four, uh, one, two diamond. And it really does matter for a player like Christie because he was playing up front for some parts of the season, the early parts where they were playing the three, five, two, he was playing on the right off the four, two, three, one formation. And then at times he was playing almost as, the number eight or uh, oftentimes the number 10. So it, it really did. It was, a, it was a season where Christie was shifted about and he was trying to be a makeshift player for all one, all, all of those positions. And I wouldn't say he's a master of any of those. So maybe if we break it down to the, let's, let's go with his creative passing as the example. So, he, as the striker, probably not expected to do much of that, but especially playing as a 10 or playing at the, as the right of the three in the four two three one. what were his passing stats like, his creative uh, side of him, apart from shooting? 
So, so I'm, I'm going to, I've actually looked at that, right, but I don't have the numbers by position. So just to let you know, okay. but I do have a view yeah. on, and I'm going to disagree with you on this one. Okay, well, let me get to that. What I want to cover first, if you don't mind, is just, you know, has has Christie had a good season, right? And, and a really simple kind of, sub, you know, um, subjective question. And if you look at his key, his key, if you look at Christie in isolation, right, um, his expected goals is down 23%. His expected assists is down 21%. Crucially, his actual scoring contribution, so goals and assists, is down 42%. So what that means is his expected goals and his expected assists are down, but he's actually more than double, not even produced against that. So what that means is last season he was kind of over overperforming against his XG and his XA. This season he's underperforming. So not only are we getting less, um, he's actually underperforming his expected goals. He's, he's been unlucky as well. <laughs> you know what I mean? So mm. that, that that all builds that 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 perception of oh, he's not trying hard enough or he's not good enough. Not only that, his um, defensive contribution uh, is down as well. His defensive. I, I, I took a look at two key defensive metrics: defensive action success rate. That's down eight percent. And his possession, uh, you know, from defensive actions, is he winning the ball back? His possession win percentage. That's down six percent. So across creativity goal-scoring, defensive, and his numbers are down. Um, you can sense a but coming, can't you? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, but, <laughs> to, to exactly to James's point, you have to put that into context of how Celtic have played this season. And despite all of that, and that all sounds kind of horrendous, right? Despite all of that, he's actually outside of, um, believe it or not, Joe, John Joe Kenny and uh, and Taylor, right? He's He's got the first third best packing stats in the squad and that's um that's so think of his peer group as the other midfielders and forwards he's got the best the best packing stats so what that means is and and, and actually it's not even that he's excelling at one side of that equation so the reason that packing i think is, is a more effective measure than than progressive passes is progressive passes tends to consider only one side of the the uh, transaction and there's two sides to the transaction there's the passer and there's the receiver so what packing does is it allows you to look at both sides of that transaction and measure not just the effectiveness of the pass so vision passing ability but the receiver which is about movement positioning awareness control uh, technique and, and actually um if you look at his packing stats he's only about uh, third or fourth in passing, and he's only about eighth in receiving. But if you add the two together, his he's, he's overall packing effectiveness, as I say, is right is right up there and the best of all the attacking players. Mm-hmm. And that suggests to me that he's developing his game. His movement, his movement and his awareness is actually improving. He's actually um, he, he 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 won more possession back to, to James's point than any other of his peers in midfield and attack. He's second to El, only to El Yunusi on challenges one. 4.6 per 90 minutes. He's only second to Ajeti in um, drawing fouls. He, he tops his peer group in interceptions. He's second only to Forrest on progressive runs. He's second only to Turnbull in uh, passes into the danger zone, into that central area. He's third in the whole squad in assists, even though his numbers have gone down. And he's third in the squad on chances created. He creates two point. Seven seven chances per game. Now remember, Christie took a lot of free kicks and corners last season, and that ain't been the case this season. So that's going to naturally dilute his numbers. And he's second in the squad to Forrest on secondary assists. So those establishing passes that allow a chance to be created. So you 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 look at all of those things together, and and that is that is a that is a breadth of of contribution, 
at a high level comparative to the rest of the squad. Mm. Okay. Can I can I just interrupt you on that? Go on then. Is there is there an argument to be made that the rest of the squad was so poor that that's the reason why Ryan Christie is up there when it comes to this? It's like when um when Stephen Welsh was saying that Scott Brown is still at the top of the the runs and the tracking at, at training, like is could it be the fact that everyone else is down across the board? So that's why Ryan Christie is sort of further up. I mean, you can only, you can only, you can only pl- you compare him to to the peer group that he has. He, he's right. he, after after Brown and Sorrow, he's got the best defensive stats. As in, you know, they're they're, they're that's their speciality. Christie's next. After the likes of Rogic and Turnbull, he's got the best creative stats, and they're the experts in that. And after after Forrest, he's got the best sort of winger type stats. And after the strikers, he's got the best, you know, goal attempt stats. So he genuinely is an absolute all round midfielder. He's an absolute gem. If, right. if if it was me, I'm what I'm hoping is, you know, that there's the next the next manager comes in who's a, a visionary and a and a, and a player that players want to play for sits him down and says, look, look, Ryan, you know, next season I'm building that midfielder and you and McGregor, okay? McGregor and yourself will be the heartbeat of that team. You know, I'd put him on the same, whatever money Brown's on, I'd put him on that money. I'd say to him, if you want to FO to Newcastle and fight relegation, that's up to you. We can probably pay you 10 grand less, but here you're going to win trophies and you're going to be the heartbeat of the team. Uh, that's why I do with Brian Christie. Yeah, so if I could jump in, because uh, I, I think I can add a little bit of context relative to your question, Enda, is so if you look at overall SPFL premiership uh, chance creation this season, it's down about 20% on average if you kind of just take each team and sum it all up and divide by 12. Um, both Rangers and Celtic are down about somewhere, you know, it's between 23 and 24%. So um, pretty close to the in line just a little bit worse than um, the overall league. Now, how much, this, this is why I talk about systemic issues. Now, how much of that is due to no fans? How much of that is due to uh, fixture congestion, um, lockdown, players living in the midst of a lockdown, like putting up with this nonsense like the rest of us, um, and, and the human cost of, of that? What, what it tells me is that there's a significant amount of systemic issue that did take place this season that did impact teams systemically, right? So when you hear people say, well, Celtic were hurt the most from no fans or, you know, Celtic, you know, this, that, or the other thing, it's hard to decompose all of this. What I can say is that the whole, almost every team in the league with a couple of exceptions where you can really point to why, uh, like a St. Johnston, whose defensive record actually eclipsed ours on a non-penalty XG basis this past week um, for the season, uh, that, that's an outlier. If you look at the last you know five, six seasons where I have access to data, e- even the really good Aberdeen teams under McInnes that, that threatened under Dyla's last season and the first season under Rodgers, they weren't that good defensively. So th- this is a really good defensive St. Johnson team. So outside of that kind of you know clear delineation, the whole chance creation situation in the league's down about twenty percent. Celtics down 24 percent. Well, that's important context relative to Christie's output. Allen also talked about um, him coming off of corners and set plays for a, a large degree. That has a huge 
dif- uh, distinction relative to his XA output. So if you just look at his XA from um, open play, it's not down anywhere near as much. I mean, it's down again, it's kind of down in line down. with the overall team. Um, again, what I say is more so this is why I focused on his XA per key pass being down like 60% is because to me, that's, that that's a standout that says, okay, that's a real outlier relative to, um, some of these other things, you know, that that's a lot more than down 24%. Right. So that's what I've done. I've, I've looked, this is, these are the kind of things I benchmark on an ongoing basis. I look for these kind of outliers and then try to figure out what's going on. Um, I'll give you an example, uh, total XG that, uh, Celtic have, have given up on a percentage basis from set plays. And do you want to guess of whether that's up or down versus last season? I'd say it's up. <laughs> on, on, a, on a percentage basis, it's up from 34% of XG to 35%. Hmm. So is that a huge difference? No. But guess what's up 70% season over season? XG from build-up play. And that's This is only league data. This is in the league only. Okay. So build-up play is defined. This is, this is using modern football data, uh, their Patreon um, uh, from they, they source from Ortec, but it's basically the qualification for that is four or more passes. Possession started in their own half, four or more passes, uh, where they were able to build up attack against Celtic, right? Well, what is what's a proxy for that? What have I been harping on all season? Our midfield, right? The, the, our opposition has been able to get possession, build up from the back, and cut us open like Swiss cheese through our midfield, right? So you know, have set base uh, set plays been an awful problem? Yes, but they were a problem last season too. Uh, we weren't giving up as many fouls last season. Uh, the overall volume of XG was higher this season because the overall problems in performance. And it, this is where I come back to the, you know, the benchmarking of, of our defending in a league where our, where chance creation is down 20%, our chance surrendering is up 43%. Right. So that that's, again, a 60 percent swing. Um, and so th- th- to me, that's all important context. When we look at any of these players, whether it's Edward, whether it's McGregor, whether it's Christie, I think that's overall systemic context that should be considered when we look at these players, not only relative to their past performance, but then relative to each other mm-hmm. in kind of assessing and measuring Um you know, how, how good quote unquote have they been or how bad have they been? Mm-hmm. Because things like, you know, other things that drive us bizarre. And I, again, I, I have these same biases. We all do. You know, every time Christy turns the ball over, I want to gouge my eyeballs out. Right. I mean, he, you know, because he, he takes chances. We've talked about this before. His, his lost possession rate is pretty similar to what he's had in the past. That, that's not up a lot. Um, you know, his ball recoveries are pretty much in line. You know, the number of duel, defensive duels. Again, these are different metrics that, that from Y Scout versus what, what what Alan's talked about. But again, we're we're talking not huge percentages here in in you know, could be kind of normal variance of uh, season to season. We're not talking wild swings in, in the vast majority of his output. Um, other than like I said, that one proxy is kind of you know, how many good shots has he set up for, for his teammates? And that, that has been way down, but Edwards is way down too. McGregor's mm-hmm. is way down that, you know, that, that seems to have been a problem for, for under Lennon. And again, a lot of that has turned under Kennedy mm-hmm. where chance creation quality has gone up a lot. 
Um, so again, I, I think a lot of this has been systemic and a derivation of, of what's going on. Um, and a, a lot of these individual players have gotten poo flung at them <laughs> um, as a result of people looking for, you know, things to blame. Mm-hmm. Rightfully so. And understandably. Christy is definitely one of the risk takers in the squad. If you look at, well, for example, his shots and his, I know you're talking about the packing being quite high, but that would indicate also that he is he's willing to play the ball forward. He's not playing safe passes across to to Brown or across yeah. the midfield. He's he's right. he's turning on the ball and he's getting the ball forward. That also does lead to some negatives. So we should probably address them. How often is he giving away the ball this season? Yep. So he's. He, I mean, he, he will give the ball up uh, more than more than most. Uh, I'm just sort of. Uh, I've not actually got that stat to hand, but in terms of turnovers or final third losses, I mean, actually, <laughs> the number of times he loses the ball in the final third is down significantly, and um, that. But I, I, that's a, that's a really interesting stat, right? Because yeah, I think some of that might be positional because of his move to the shuttling eight and a diamond. I think that yeah, that would have a big impact on that. There is that, and also there's a, there's a piece that sort of says, you know, when that number is high, it it, it it it's an indicator of often of trying to do things. So Ellen Yusi's number is very high, so it's almost yeah. like if it's low, it's like you're not trying hard enough type of thing. You know, you're not, you're not trying to be creative. You're playing it a little bit too safe type of thing. Right. So so that, which is why you know I think with Chris, you've got to take that rough with the smooth. I, I mean, you asked Enda earlier about you know positionally, and James just touched on how does Christie play when he's in different positions? And what was, I think is really interesting is when he broke into the team after that Hearts semi-final, when he came on at halftime and, and turned the game, he then, he then played as a number eight in, in, in a, not in a, not in a diamond, but in more of a sort of four, three, three, he played as, as a number eight in 11 consecutive matches following that Hearts game. And that included things like beating Leipzig included that really, you know, quite, quite, Earn $300 with everything checking from Dollar Bank. Then do your thing. I can get our new baby a fuzzy blanket to sleep on. Everything checking has fast mobile payments, so you can do that. Then I can pick up some squeaky toys. Baby loves to chew. Um, everything checking offers zero fees at 55,000 ATMs, so you can do that. Yeah, then I can get a sitter to scratch baby's tummy while we're at work. Uh, everything checking lets you do easy. Send money with Zelle. So what kind of baby is baby? A Boston Terrier. Why? I feel better now. Earn $300 with everything checking from Dollar Bank. What you do is up to you. Open your account today at dollar.bank slash 300. $300 offer for new customers only and may end without notice. Certain requirements apply in the first year. 0.05% annual percentage yield. Account opening is subject to approval and accounts are available only to consumers residing in Dollar Bank's markets. Zelle is available to United States bank account holders only. Terms and conditions apply. Dollar Bank member FDIC. We're not trying to reinvent the wheel. At Rim Time, we're just trying to make yours a little more exciting. Get the custom rims you always wanted and the tires you need. Any brand, any style, any finish you like. We'll make your ride stand out. And at Rim Time, it won't cost you a fortune. We've got everyday low prices, and with our unique payment program, no credit is required. Find your nearest location at RimTime.com. That's RimTYME.com. Who knew custom wheels could be this much fun? Rim Time. More wheels, real experts, easy options. I suppose professional is the cliche. Win in Rosenberg, we won one nil away 
and then he sort of got you know helped get get um, you know qualification. It includes the League Cup final where he scored the winning goal, and it includes you know five goal hammerings of Hearts, Dundee, Kilmarnock. That run of eleven games playing in that in that sort of position within a three in, in central midfield is the only significant run of games Christie has played in the same position in three seasons, and it was a central position. He got. He, he then picked up a few injuries in that season, and he, and he and he was kind of in and out of the side. Last season, where his numbers, if you look at, if you look at the other thing, I would say is that breakthrough season where I think everyone would agree, wow, he burst onto the team, he deserved his place in the team, and wasn't he fantastic? His numbers this season have kind of dropped to being a little bit below that season, but 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 the nineteen twenty last season. His numbers just like went went up so high, and he's kind of dropped back this season nearer to where he was two seasons ago. And again, that's 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 another sort of thing you got to bear in mind. But but if, what is really interesting is that um, last season he almost exclusively played as a number ten or on the right wing. He, he virtually never played as a central midfielder. And guess what? A lot of his, his stats went up. Now that's really weird to me because if you if you to ask me, which you, I'm sure you you kind of have, is what is his best position? I honestly don't know because if I if I look at if I look at this season, he's just kind of played ten. He's played eight. He's played seven. He's even played as a striker. There's been no pattern to his his appearances this season. He's played no more than about three or four games in any one position. So he's been moved around a lot. As I say, I come back to you. Only ever had that one run of being a midfielder in a th- in a three uh, where he was mm-hmm. in the same position. Instinctively, if you look at his numbers overall, and I outlined how across defensive, creative, and goal-scoring threat metrics, he, he's, he's up there near the top of the, top of the squad, just below yeah. the specialists in all of those positions. I, w- I would have him as a number eight, personally. But, but, but last season, he virtually never played an eight, and he, played, and, and he posted amazing statistics. Mm-hmm. So I, don't, I honestly don't know. I just have him in the team somewhere. Can I, yeah, can, well, I, can I play devil's advocate again here? Please do. Yes. And I, I'm, not, uh, I'm not purposely... Uh, questioning you but for example like as as we've pointed out so he's played number eight number 10 up front wing he's played all over the place so is there a potential for those numbers to be skewed because no other player has played so many positions so his defensive stats are up because he's played as number eight his attacking contributions are up because he's playing number t- uh, 10 and his xg is up because he was playing striker it's a great point, right? Um, and I even went down, to, I did actually start to break down number of minutes in each position. Now, bear in mind, not only does he play different positions in different games, he often plays different positions in the same game. Now, I don't collect, I don't track that to such a granular mm-hmm. level. It says, here are all his 150 stats from this game while he was playing on the right wing. And here are all his 150 stats from that game while he was playing. I just can't do it. I just don't have the time or the inclination to do that. So I can't, I can't honestly answer your question. But I think you raise a, a great point, but I, 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 I'm not sure. I still think you'd end up with a, I still come back to you'd end up in this position where he would trend just below the specialists in each position. Mm-hmm. Is that Fair good? Enough. Yeah, Jim, so sorry, I, I cut across you. No, that's fine. I, 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 I've done a little bit of that um, through, and it's not me. Again, I don't do anything near the level of work that Alan does uh, with him create, capturing his own data. But um, Y Scout does allow for filtering based off of their data capture, which is you know flawed, and we've, we've talked about in the past. They have some issues in quality, um, but the, you, you can. 
uh, filter that based off of uh, positions. And I have done that uh, in the past for, for Christy. And for the most part, it supports what Alan said, which I think Alan is picking up on intuitively. And I certainly um, shared that opinion, which is if, if you just think about where his weakness is, um, one of his big weaknesses is shot selection. Right. So again, and I want to come back to that in a second because I'm not, I'm not done on that topic. Um, uh, is shot selection for someone who shoots too much is not a great thing. Right. So he, he can capture a lot of XG through volume of shots that isn't necessarily um, good for the team. You know, you, you can, you know, if you shoot seven times a game for uh, at, a, at an average XG of 0.05, that, that, will average you out to a very high output player in, in a league for a number 10 or even a, a right winger. Um, uh, so when I've looked at his positional output in the past and, and back to what Alan's point, I, I, when I did a piece back on his site um, last spring, I think it was a little over a year ago at looking at that stretch. Uh, and this was all within the context of, of um, you know, how, how the team performed with and without Brown was if you looked at that stretch, the total defensive output in the midfield um, with with McGregor and Christie was comparable or even a little bit better than it had been with with uh, Brown and and McGregor as, as kind of the main two, you know, not the ten, which for the most part during that stretch was was Rogic, and um, the reason for that is because in that number eight role or dual sixes, however you want to call it, when it kind of slipped into the four, two, three, one, you know, we always talk about these things being fluid in possession, out of possession. These things are, you know, they, they fluid within the game um, is because Christie really, he's not as efficient as a Brown, as, as Alan said, you know, kind of that defensive action success rate, one of Alan's metrics, Christie's not going to be, you know, at a Brown level, um, but he picks up, what he doesn't get in efficiency and volume because the guy runs around like a lunatic, right. In a good way, you know, he's got a motor, he's got good pace. He gets up and down and covered a lot of ground. And, and this goes back to what I've been harping on for so long, which is, you know, having those legs and that youth and that combativeness in midfield is a big deal. Um, and if you look at his data, he, he kind of brought a lot of the same attributes and positives as an Armstrong, you know, kind of making those progressive runs, running beyond the striker, having that attacking eight functionality in there while also offering that, which Armstrong never really did. I mean, he was functional as an eight getting back and playing some defense and defending, but not anywhere to the degree yeah. Chris, Christie is. Mm -hmm. So you kind of, you know, but, you know, Armstrong wasn't a great shooter either, actually, if you look at his stats. Um, and he had some of the same issues so you know so that's my two cents i think there's there there from what i've seen there's pretty good statistical evidence that um you know christie is an eight is probably how he should have been playing all along or is okay. it sort you know, of a dual six with somebody else um in a four two three one i, I want to circle back relative to the shooting issue because i this introduces another topic and i think we'll get into this um you know when and if it sounds like it's going to be when, um, how is appointed. So I think there's a main topic here to be discussed about um, analytics and managers. And one of the things I think that's been 
uh, kind of a rewriting of history as relative to Brendan Rodgers' tenure at Celtic. Um, and th this idea that he was some, you know, analytics focused manager when he was at Celtic. And I, I just, you know, for everything I've heard, everything I've read and, and my analyzing of the data suggests that that was not the case, certainly when he arrived. And again, we've talked about this before. He hired Jack Lyons, a, a blogger, a 19 year old blogger, uh, to come in and help him with this um, because, you know, his, his, his work had gone viral and, you know, subsequently we know Jack's a talented guy. So that was, you know, pretty good eyes and picking up young talent, but it's also, you know, a manager at Celtic hiring a 19 year old blogger. Right. So that's, uh, that's not exactly a cutting edge thinker in the space. Um, and if you look at the data, I mean, basically in Dyla's last season, and this is, just happens to be just in league games, but Celtic shot about 48% of the time from outside the box under Dyla in his last season. I have it here. In uh, Rogers' first season was 45%. In his second season in 17-18, it was 46%. Uh, that happened to be right around when he hired Lions, by the way, in that first and the second season when they started to do a little bit more analytics. Um, went down to 40% in the 18-19 season. Last season under um, Lennon, which again, we've talked about, was kind of a hybrid season um, where we were still playing a lot like uh, the Rogers era with a dash of Lennon. And we kind of went more so to the Lennon part of the spectrum this season mm -hmm. uh, was also at 40%. And uh, this season we went back up to 45%. So, and, and we've talked about before, if you look at the actual analytic centric clubs that we know uh, just from the public domain, as far as that they've been invested heavily in this space, that metric is typically between 30 to 35%. Uh, for, for clubs that are really focused on analytics. Um, so, the, and that, you know, again, th there's, there's gotta be an adjustment in this because, you know, if you're a league dominant team, you know, if you're 18th in the table in Serie A or in La Liga, you're a different team than, you know, Liverpool or Celtic or uh, a, a Juventus or a PSG that dominates possession and, you know, it's basically camped in the opposition um, final third. So, you know, you need to, think about these things, uh, as well. Um, so, you know, th this, this is not, and, and by the way, uh, Lester under Rogers, where he's gone and inherited a very advanced analytics infrastructure, uh, is now gravitating more towards that 35% number, by the way. Yeah. Um, one of the, what, sorry, James, one of the biggest differentiators in the league this season has been that, uh, you know, the Rangers have converted 40% of their, of their uh, shots on target. Uh, whereas with Celtics, 31 isn't unusual. It's not particularly, um, you know, bad as per se. It's certainly not even the lowest in the league. Yeah. But, um, you know, 40%. And that, some of that is down to luck, 40. And some of it is down to, you know, choosing to take shots from closer to the goal in a more central position. And if you, again, I keep saying this, if you watch the way that they build up play, they don't, they don't, they, they don't just swing it into the box. They wait for an opportunity to get it into a position where someone can take a shot from that angle. Manchester City, as I keep mentioning, are probably the 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 great exponents of of trying to play in, deliberately in that way. Um, yeah, and, yeah, and, and, and that's real. That, that is absolutely you know has a real impact because if you honestly Celtic Celtic actually, if you look at their shots on target, their accurate their shooting accuracy is rarely changed through all the years that James has reeled off there. The shooting accuracy rarely 
deviated from 38 to 40 percent in terms of shot and but you know if you, you can hit a shot on target from 35 yards but it's probably not going to go in <laughs> yes yeah, especially and this goes back to the level of competition too you might be able to beat you know uh hamilton's keeper more frequently from 30 yards but you're you know you're not going to beat a europa league level you know decent keeper or good keeper or an alan mcgregor you know, um, Seagrass, the guy at Dundee United, you know, the, those level of keepers where they have wingspan and, and you know, or, or they're just good, it, it gets to be a lot harder. Uh, so this is, I talk about, you know, this, this is a financial market term, um, convexity, right? So some of these metrics have convexity as well, meaning that as you, as you go against opponents and quality, um, it, it's not a linear relationship in some of these. Some of some of them, you know, fall off a cliff or or they go straight up as, as you go up against better competition or you go against worse competition. Um, so yeah, so I I wanted to reference that because uh, you know th th that's a pretty decent metric that I've found. It's only one of many, but it's when I do my screening. You know, when I look at managers and playing styles, that's an easy one to kind of screen out who's really embracing um, analytics and who's not. Um, and, you know, preview uh, last season of uh, uh, Bournemouth in the, in the premiership, I think they were at uh, 42% and the prior year at 47%. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, uh, but I mean, that's the, that's the team. Oh, so many things to consider, right? I mean, that's the team where I don't know if they had people in the squad who are talented from long range, uh, but also there's a team that's probably going to have to make the most of every opportunity in sight of goal that they're going to get, right? Well, and that's why I said that has <laughs> yeah, to be looked yeah. at closer and adjusted. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. But but it, but again, I actually put out a thread today on that, and this is for a different po podcast. But um, you know, uh, Atalanta has a similar pay or, or wage bill. Um, as as uh, Bournemouth did in in their league um, for a couple of seasons at least until they re started to retrench then towards towards the latter part of his tenure um, and and you know again they were able to install a playing style where they were in the thirty to thirty five percent range um, so and again I, I, I'm not uh, this is a whole different conversation and I'm not 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 saying it, it's simply a question of is it a red flag is it something to examine closer you know it's asking questions and how do we measure these things and ask questions and try to figure out what might be going on um so that's why i've said you know how looks more like an early stage rogers to me which again that's a good manager right this is, this is not an insult uh it's a question of you know coaching managing um and and style of play and um decision making and how much is actually grounded in analytics and, and the culture of a club. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I don't think Celtic has had this in their culture to any significant degree. I think maybe we've seen a little bit more of that with Kennedy in, in uh, since he's taken over as manager. Um, and a lot of these metrics have reverted more towards that 35% range under his tenure. Um, so you know, I, I think that that that's one of these things where Alan's talked about as well, where you've seen some tangible signs of change under Kennedy, even though all of us or a lot of us are still running around with our hair on fire <laughs> because of some of the issues that we continue to see. Yeah. Um, yeah. The Eddie Howe one is an interesting one because there's there's so many variants to it. I mean, he may come in and 
be absolutely revolutionary when it comes to this because this is his first time getting a crack at a big job where it's he's actually dominating these games as opposed to thread and water at the bottom of the Premier League. So we shall wait and see to see if and when he is appointment uh, appointed to see how that actually turns out. And hopefully that'll be sooner rather than later. As we round out our Ryan Christie chat, then I guess, Alan, you see him as a, a good player to have in the in the squad going forward. Would that be, for example, let's say uh, a midfield of McGregor, Christie, Turnbull and someone else? Or is that how you see him going forward? Yeah, I, I, I would. I mean, I, I don't just see him as a useful player to have in the squad, although I think you know the fact that he can cover uh, a lot of positions and it seemingly it is his, his productivity doesn't dip <laughs> because as I say, I can't find, I can't, I, I could look harder, I guess, but I can't find any pattern or correlation between position and output, you know? <laughs> so it's just, it really just, he does just produce great numbers really generally. And I'm, I'm talking again in context, uh, wherever he plays. So I, I would, I, I would have him not just in the squad, but I'd have him in the team. I'd have him in the team where I'm with McGregor. I think Turnbull definitely, you know, has a role in that sort of ten. If we're going to play a ten, especially, I don't think he's got the energy to be an, an eight as yet. Um, but he's still developing. Um, so, but yeah, and I think obviously then you need to supplement that with with a midfielder who's a more of a, a holding holding type mm-hmm. player to replace Brown, obviously. Uh, which, you know, Sorrow I think is again Sorrow's. I would keep Sorrow, but I would probably bring in a, a more. Um, I don't know if it needs to be a season six, but certainly. Someone who's probably more, um, you know, I think fleshed out because I think we need to get a bit more progress in Europe. Yeah, James, do you go along that? Generally, um, one one idea I, I'll introduce is um, the value of that flexibility. I think is probably underappreciated amongst the support, meaning that um, we've seen this in other sports analytically is that if you can get a player who's good at multiple positions uh even if they're not great and again i i think he you know within the context of of celtic in scotland i think christie could be a great eight um that's my my opinion again we haven't had him haven't seen him play there long enough or enough to to, to validate that but even if he's just good or really good at, at being in these multiple positions, that flexibility and value and what that does to a squad and the performance level of the team because of the resiliency for injury, uh, because of rotation uh, relative to fixture congestion, that is incredibly valuable. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think you know supporters probably underestimate how valuable that is. Um the one thing I'll probably take issue with, with Alan, I, I think, and, I, and again, I haven't done a huge amount of work on this yet, but I think that the, the there's probably a little bit of bias in the UK as far as that need for kind of an old school, traditional six, uh, kind of the combative midfielder. Um, I, I think if, I, I think that's probably over, overdone. Um, meaning that if, if, if that, enables those other two midfielders assume you're going to play three uh to be more creative and and attacking theoretically i could see that um but generally speaking i'd rather have someone who's maybe not as elite as a you know a brown was three or four years ago as that combative midfielder you know let's say 85 percent of that brown who's you know functional or even decent uh on the ball and creatively and passing 
I'd, I'd rather have two of those in midfield than a, a Brown and a McGregor, let's say. Um, yeah, to me, that's, that's more... In my head, I was assuming that we we're going to continue to have attacking fullbacks, which is, I think you do need somebody. Right, and it's how all these things fit together. I'd made that assumption in my head, but you're right, you'd call that mm -hmm. out because it's maybe not a valid assumption. <laughs> yeah, and it, again, there's no right or wrong here. I think that, that 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 goes back to recruitment and you know how you're going to build a team around a strategy of how you're going to play um, and why it's so important to have a coherent plan for that, <laughs> which mm -hmm. we've talked about a lot. Um, so yeah, I, I could see, and again, we talked about earlier in the pod about that 11 game stretch against really good teams, European level, where the only one that really cut us open and gave us problems was Salzburg. And that, that was, you know, a really good Salzburg team that was shortly thereafter, you know, giving Liverpool a problem, <laughs> uh, you know, one of the best Liverpool teams in, in recent memory. So, um, you know, I, I think, and that was with Rogic at the 10, which again, you know, not my idea of a really good European level um, number 10 because of the athletic, athletic limitations. Um, so, you know, I, I think a, a, a sitting two or a, a you know, a biased kind of more, a little bit more defensive eight with, with Christie and, and uh, McGregor and a midfield three, I think would be fine. Uh, particularly domestically. I mean, mm -hmm. I don't even think that's a, it should be a, a big question, but I think the bigger question, it's a legitimate one relative to the conversation with Alan is, you know, kind of holistically, how would that look in Europe and whether you'd need a little bit more defending? Um, personally, I think if you get somebody more athletic than, than uh, a Rogic and play a three rather than a four, two, three, one, you'd probably be fine. You know, if you get another version of Christie, let's say on, on as an eight on the other side and a three relative to a Rogic, let's say, then I think you'd be fine yeah. with that three. Yeah, you've got you've got sufficient defensive. But do you know, I mean, here's an interesting one. Callum McGregor's defensive stats are higher than Christie's this season. <laughs> and we, yeah. And that's quite quite surprising. Mm. Um, yeah. that, 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 that could that could come back to your point, end about you know where where Christie's been playing. But I think to, I think James is right. If you look at if you look at the um, Champions League uh, games this week, you know, uh, yeah, or, or I think you know, yeah, Chelsea have got Kante, I suppose. But um, you know, generally, you know, you can play. You know, if you look at Real Madrid, for example, with Cruz and. Uh, you know, uh, Modric, you know, you wouldn't classify them as a sort of Scott Brown style player. That that passing ability from deep is actually more important. They're good enough defensively, but you, what you get is that deep creativity. And that deep creativity, I mean, especially when you've got, you know, uh, an attacking over uh, attacking advantage that Celtic generally have at home is, is massive. Yeah, I think we'll we'll see that under Eddie Howe. Let's assume that it is Eddie Howe and he continues on with the same sort of management that he has in the past. Uh, on, in memory, he doesn't play a, a traditional number six. He plays a couple of players like Christie and Cal McGregor who are able to do defensive duties, but also able to mount the attack. He played 4-3-3 for Bournemouth a lot of the time. And I remember Harry Arter was one of those players who, you know, he was like a little terrier in the midfield, but once he got the ball, he was progressive with it and then in his final year he had Harry Wilson playing at the, as a number 10 as well so he, I think on the face of it McGregor uh, with Christie and Turnbull would be a three that Eddie Howe could work with potentially and then going into Europe he might be able to look at a, 
a traditional number number six. But I suppose we should wrap this up because Eddie Howe is not the manager yet. And hopefully by the next time we're recording a podcast, he might well be. So this has been the Huddle Breakdown. If you want to find us on Twitter, we're at Huddle Breakdown, or you can get us on Spotify or wherever you get your podcast. Just uh, search the Huddle Breakdown and it should pop up for you there. You can subscribe, get notified every time it goes live. And we are back with weekly episodes every single Thursday slash Friday. We're a little bit later this week. James, Alan, thanks for joining me today. Thank you. Thanks, guys. All right, we'll chat to you later. $300 with everything checking from Dollar Bank. 
then do your thing. I can get a sweet new gaming controller for game night. Everything checking has fast mobile payments, so you can do that. Then I could buy energy drinks because, well, game night. Everything checking offers zero fees at 55,000 ATMs, so you can do that. Then pay my roommate when she buys the pizza for game night. Everything checking lets you do easy. Send money with Zelle. And then I'm ready to conquer the universe. <laughs> this is way bigger than game night, isn't it? Earn $300 with everything checking from Dollar Bank. What you do is up to you. Open your account today at dollar.bank slash 300. $300 offer for new customers only and may end without notice. Certain requirements apply in the first year. 0.05% annual percentage yield. Account opening is subject to approval and accounts are available only to consumers residing in Dollar Bank's markets. Zelle is available to United States bank account holders only. Terms and conditions apply. Dollar Bank member FDIC. Rimtime Custom Wheels and Tires. Visit any location for great deals on custom wheel packages. Our automotive stylists will assist you in selecting the right rims that you want and the tires your ride needs. Whatever you want, whatever you need, Rimtime has got it. You got performance wheels? Yup. Off-road wheels? Yes. Colored wheels or chrome rims? Yes and yes. Like I said, Rimtime has what you want and we know our stuff. Find the Rimtime location near you by visiting Rimtime.com and selecting your store. That's Rimtyme.com. Rimtime. More wheels real experts easy options hi i'm daniel founder of pretty litter cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter that's why i teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create pretty litter its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80 percent less than clay litter Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.